Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 20 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Becchione. Welcome to today's episode. Thanks for joining us today and welcome to season three of FASD Hope. Today, I'll be speaking with Christian Hancock of Heart and Soul Speech and of North Texas FASD Network. Christian Hancock is a speech language pathologist, feeding therapist, and parent coach. She's the mom of three who are her greatest teachers. She's passionate about empowering families to create communication and connection, celebrating the simplicity of home. As a speech-language pathologist, Christian has certification and experience in the following, English-Spanish bilingual, Vital STEM certified, prompt trained, SOS trained, extensive training with pediatric dysphagia, feeding disorders, experience with high-risk infants and medically complex patients, pediatric hearing loss, hearing aid, and cochlear implants, presenter and lecturer at various conferences and trainings. Christian also has experience and training in FASD. Communication with connection is a philosophy that offers proven ways to build positive language and meaningful relationships through simple everyday moments. Christian has applied research from routine-based intervention and family-centered therapy to help hundreds of families make changes that support children of all abilities. Christian is the founder of Communicate with Connection and Heart and Soul Speech Therapy. Welcome to today's episode. It's season three. We're airing this episode in the summer, and I am so happy to be speaking with today's guest. I met her through the North Texas FASD Support Network. She reached out to me. Um, She is a professional in the FASD community, and she is uh, represents a profession that I've been wanting to talk to on our podcast for a long time. Uh, she's a speech and la- speech therapist and speech language pathologist. I hope I'm saying that right. And um, I am just so happy to be talking to her about her work, about uh, the significance of speech therapy with FASD at all ages and stages, and also her wonderful work in the North Texas FASD Support Network. I am so happy to welcome Christian Hancock to FASD Hope. Christian, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to join you today. Thank you. And I am just so happy you're here. And Christian and I were talking before uh, we started recording, And she shared with me that she doesn't have a familial connection with FASD as the majority of us do. She has a professional connection and she also has a connection through, uh, through family friend. And I, I talked to her and I just shared with her that I have so much respect and gratitude for her learning about FASD and wanting to increase awareness and advocacy through her profession. Um, So she really is a gem and I'm just so glad she's here. Christian, so with that in mind, let's talk about your background 
as a speech therapist and how you became involved in the FASD community. Sure. My first job as a speech language pathologist was with a home health company in a really rural area um, out southeast of Austin. And I was one of the only bilingual feeding therapists traveling to families in that area at that time. And so my caseload was really full of high need infants and medically complex children. And I just, I fell in love with how sustainable home health can be because of the opportunities that um, I had to support caregivers at home. And I just, I find it so much more organic to troubleshoot the challenges of daily routines together with families when you're already in that natural environment. So serving these families with such great challenges and really complicated cases pushed me to continue seeking solutions that were beyond the traditional SLP methods. And looking back now, I realize many, many of the families that I was serving likely had a child with FASD and we didn't know it. I did not know enough to start the conversation and all I did know was that our therapy wasn't working well enough. These caregivers and children were exhausted and defeated and desperate for a lifeline. So a few years later, I started my own family and I opened my own private practice in North Dallas where I work now. And I knew I wanted to find better ways to empower and support these families. And I think the best way to help children is by helping parents and caregivers feel confident in what they do at home. So now after many years of learning from other disciplines and practicing neurobehavioral strategies and trauma-informed care, I um, created something I call communication uh, with connection. And that supports children's social, emotional, cognitive, and communication development at home, really a more holistic way to serve these families. So I wholeheartedly believe it starts with connection. Um, when we are able to focus to truly see the whole child, we just naturally change our interactions and we can celebrate who they are and we know how to better help them. And I think in a world where chaos can be typical with young children at home, um, our home can be a, a steady foundation when we use um, this perspective shift. And I wanna help families find these simple moments um, that work for their unique family and their daily routines um, that allow children to thrive. Wow. I'm going to say that a lot during our conversation. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. I am just so thankful that you took all of that experience and turned it into this amazing paradigm shift of helping families, empowering families, and really recognizing what we, you know, many of us know 
is that the connection is key in our relationship with our kids and helping them develop and uh, through those ages and stages. So, wow. Before we talk a little bit more, can you tell us a little bit more about this program? Yeah, so communication with connection is, is just something I call it because it makes sense to me and it's really a philosophy and a practice, a daily practice um, that, like I said, it, it really is developed to support the entire child and the family systems in place at home. Those daily routines um, are different and they vary between homes and family and who's present in the home and what the family priorities are. And so I really felt like it was my job to become a model of responsive care. And that means I can't just plug in a, um, you know, a strategy for every child. I can't just go to a training and say, this is what I'm going to do for my practice because it works for everybody. Um, responsive means I show up in that moment and look at what the child is telling me through their behaviors, um, what they are able to do in that moment. And then my response changes because of that information. And I want to help parents and caregivers do the same um, so that they are able to show up with that confidence and the calm presence that we know is needed to um, regulate, to co-regulate when um, it's a moment of chaos. And it sounds like it's really rooted in the neurobehavioral model of, like you said, you know, regulation, structure, stability. Um, did you take any training in FASD uh, in the neurobehavioral model or any other type of FASD training? In my graduate studies um, for speech language pathology, I think we had maybe one lecture um, that included FASD. It was not just exclusively FASD, it included it. Um, I've also heard from medical physicians um, who might have like a 15 minute lecture on FASD, which is just truly mind blowing, knowing how prevalent it is and the amount of time that we spend on other, um, you know, other challenges and disorders and disabilities versus FASD um, is just really unfair for these families. And so, um, like I mentioned, I, ha I had to step out of my profession and seek research and um, expertise in other disciplines because um, it wasn't enough. And that's one of my goals as a speech language pathologist and some of the collaborative work um, that I do is to continue educating and training other SLPs because um, if their experience was anything like mine, I know it wasn't enough. So again, I asked that because what you just said, Christian, really is echoed in so many of our guests um, who are professionals in the FASD community that they re received little to no training specifically during, you know, their, their studies in, in their mm -hmm. discipline. And they had to go out of their discipline out of, you know, do extra training or extra classes or webinars or whatever. 
what you're saying really reinforces the systemic education of FASD in every profession, you know, in every age, you know, and with every population. So I'm really thankful that you're sharing that. And again, I'm just so thankful for the work that you're doing and, and this program that you've created because, oh my goodness, I, if I had access to a speech therapist like you when our son was younger, oh my goodness, I, I can only imagine, you know, the leaps and bounds he, he would have been able to, to take. So, um, I am very thankful that you are here now to help families in your area um, and, and, and to educate other speech and language pathologists. Uh, so let's talk about specifically, why is speech therapy so vital in uh, the treatment and the support of children, teens, and young adults with FASD? And how does FASD differ from other populations? Yeah, that's a great question. And I am on a personal mission to let everyone know that speech therapy does not just help with talking. And speech language pathologists are able to support pragmatics or social skills, like how to engage in appropriate conversations, how to take conversational turns, how to make friends appropriately, um, you know, what, how to participate in conversations in a variety of settings that all demand differently from the listener and speaker. Um, SLPs can strengthen executive function skills like sustaining attention, planning ahead, organizing, time management, all of these things that we know individuals with FASD struggle with because of the changes in their brain. And um, we can also offer strategies for sensory-based challenges, especially in regards to feeding and eating. So I like to think that SLPs are truly able to create a really solid foundation that can later support relationships, employment, education, you know, just well-rounded life skills that are needed for helping healthy living. Um, and you may not think of calling an SLP for some of those issues, um, but um, that's that's my mission. I want everybody to understand, give, an, give your local SLP a call and ask if you've got a, um, uh, an issue that you, you want support with, uh, you might be surprised at how creative we can be sometimes. So um, I think, you know, it's always worth a call and we, um, are able to refer to, you know, network and connect you with somebody who might be a better fit for your family. So that, um, is something I would like everyone to know, but speech therapy looks a little bit different, um, when we're using the neurobehavioral model. And so it might not always be family centered. It might not be routine based. Um, and so that, is something that I would look for and ask um, your, your providers, um, you know, how do they approach FASD? Like we said, um, so many of our healthcare professionals and educators are uninformed about FASD. So it can be 
extremely difficult for caregivers to find the support that they're looking for, unfortunately. And I'm so interested in hearing about what you're doing in the FASD community when you work with clients and patients that have FASD throughout the lifespan, because just hearing you talk about how speech can create this foundation for health and for, for growth and for um, just, just healthy communication. I absolutely agree. As, as a parent, I think we often think of speech therapy as the either, you know, the proper pronunciation, or if, if there are, um, you know, syntax or any types of, uh, of speech issues, but it really is, especially when you're thinking about it with reference to the neurobehavioral model, it really is communication at its, at, at its core and social skills and things like that, that we just, we take for granted, but um, we know that there's so much executive functioning involved in communicating with, with other people. Um, and I know you're going to touch upon that in a little bit. Um, so Christian, tell us about what you're doing now and, and how you are um, just working with, with families of those with FASD. Sure. So right now I, I do offer um, family-centered routine-based support for families in Texas. Um, I also collaborate with SLPs around the world um, with an interest in FASD. Um, it's a small group, but we're growing um, and we are focused on better educating our profession and advocating for policy change, and better services for families. Right now, I feel really privileged to work with two nonprofit organizations that serve families with FASD. Like you said, North Texas FASD Network is a wonderful resource for caregivers. They offer support groups, educational trainings. They do a lot um, to team up with other groups around the country working to make changes and better serve families. Um, the other group is in a very early stage of creating an FASD dedicated clinic in Texas, which is something that is desperately needed. I feel so sad when I have families coming to me asking, where do I go to get a diagnosis? Where do I go to get support? Um, and I think, you know, I have to send them out of state or, you know, there's not a good answer. And so I'm really excited about hopefully the um, evolution of that clinic in the next few years. So that's um, what I do right now. And I am always looking for more ways to do more. So if anyone would like to contact Christian, either about finding an FASD informed speech language pathologist or learning about FASD and, and collaborating with her in this wonderful, small, but growing network of professionals, we will share Christian's contact email and also the uh, contact information for North Texas FASD support network um, in today's program notes, as well as in our social media posts for this week's episode. So um, I'm, I'm excited. And Christian, I definitely would love to have you and the team that you're getting together for this 
hopeful potential clinic, this FASD clinic, um, when you guys start, you know, <laughs> hopefully as you're cutting the ribbon, you know, to open the clinic, I will be there virtually to interview you all because when a new FASD diagnostic clinic opens, that's a huge celebration. Uh, yes, so absolutely. That's, yes. that's a big win. And I'm sure, you know, when people reach out to us in the podcast and, and message us and ask, you know, hey, I live in this state. Do you know any resources? It, it really is heartbreaking to, to say there's nothing in your state, you know. Um, right. it, so it's so, again, it gives me hope to hear that states are being more active. And, and I love North Texas FASD Support Network. You all have such a wonderful, wonderful organization. And we're going to talk about them in, in a few minutes. Um, yes. So let's just talk a little bit about how um, speech language pathologists, how they can strengthen skills and, and deficits that um, other modalities may not be able to do in such a creative and out of the box way. So let's talk about like infancy through uh, adults, some examples of how uh, speech language pathologists can address those, um, those needs and support the strengths. Sure. So typically in infants and um, our young babies, uh, I get called in for feeding and eating. Um, we know that, that, well, it's very unlikely that we have information about FASD at this early age, unfortunately. Um, so I'm not always coming in with the, with the magic FASD tool here. It's truly about supporting the goals of the family to um, get nutrition in, in the child. So. Um, a, a lot of it is responsive feeding techniques, um, which is, uh, I think, really complementative of the neurobehavioral model because we are um, not, uh, we're really being responsive in the way that we're supporting the child. Um, so the really fussy eaters, um, sometimes there is a medical um, diagnosis underlying it, like reflux or um you know, uh, laryngomalacia or something like that, that we need to address um, to be able to successfully feed a child. The transition around six months to solid foods can really be difficult for children struggling with sensory uh, properties of food. And so um, I get another call around six months to come in and support that transition. Um, some strategies that we can use uh, rooted in the responsive feeding methods um, are really to um, take a look at how the child is able to manage food. And um, that is, is somewhat complex because it changes. We know children with FASD sometimes appear to do it really well and other times they aren't. And that, you know, is such a really important lesson that I want caregivers and professionals to know that sometimes those skills might be there and um, it's not an, uh, a defiance or unwillingness to do it the next time, but it's that neural connection isn't, isn't firing in that moment. Um, that's a really important lesson, I think, to understand when we support these families and these children. 
Um, as children get older, we might move away from feeding and eating struggles, um, or they may persist, but um, typically in toddlers, I'm seeing more communication um, supports needed. We know that um, we might start having some behaviors evolve around this stage. We, you know, that is somewhat expected in uh, neurotypical children at that age because they are exerting more independence and exploring their environments and that's expected. Um, in neurodivergent um, individual uh, children at this age, um, we know that it's more likely related to an inability to, um, you know, express themselves in a way that we understand. Um, there's a lot in their environments and that's not always taken into consideration in our plan of care. Um, so communicative frustration, we want to make sure that they're, they are able to express their wants and needs. Sometimes that is through, um, augmentative and um, alternative communication methods. Um, other times that's through pragmatics and social skills um, supports as well. As children get even older, um, we really, really start to talk about more FASD because at this time we see the executive function skills really manifest because of the social and educational academic demands um, in or, you know, early elementary, um, we start to see these children being referred um, usually to several <laughs> professions all at once because we're not sure exactly what's going on. And it, it's usually related back to their ability to use executive function skills or rather inability um, to regulate and um, you know participate in an environment that's not aware of those needs. And so um, you know SLPs can really help throughout each age and stage, like you said, um, but it sometimes looks very different on what we are um, focusing on and what our priorities are as the family. Um, we know that um, these behaviors, manifest more in the, in the later stages and um, it becomes a really challenging time. Um, that's when I think I get the most phone calls for families and they come to me with a very extensive list of diagnosis and an extensive list of therapies that they have tried and have um, been unsuccessful or haven't found solutions through. And I think that's always one of my indicators is we've tried all these things that might work for, um, like you had said earlier, how does FASD look different than other disorders and disabilities? And it's really this, if the traditional strategies and models that we are trying are not working, it might be an indication that there's an FASD present because of the brain damage done um, so early on. This is brain damage. We're not looking at, um, you know, uh, the, it's an inability. There, the ability is not there because the brain is not able. And so the perspective shift needs to happen. The conversation can be really challenging when we start to realize that this might be the answer that we weren't, weren't considering before. 
is so refreshing to talk to you, Christian. Oh my goodness. Because so often, more often than not, we, we don't hear that from your, your typical allied health professionals, clinicians, and unless they are specifically in the FASD field like Mm you, uh, we don't hear that, you know, we just hear as parents and, and you hear that uh, pile up of ABC acronym soup of diagnoses, you know, Mm -hmm. and hearing you just talk about being able to communicate to parents and, and caregivers, what we know in the community that as an, as an individual with an FASD ages, he or she will have actually more of a gap between their developmental age and their chronological age. So it widens. And because like you said, you know, the executive functioning skills are not present or maybe they're present, but they're not ready to come out yet. And, and, and we also know, and we have hope in that, um, as adults with an FASD get older, there is continued development. And, and that is something for us to, to look forward to, especially if we have young adults that they will continue to develop into their, you know, mid and mid late twenties. Um, mm-hmm. so, but hearing that, hearing what you're saying, when parents come back to you as their child gets older and nothing is working, I've, mm. I've been there as a parent and I know so many of our listeners have, so it's just, it's just refreshing to hear you say <laughs> when nothing else works. Okay. We know it's, it's an FASD and this is why we need to evaluate it, diagnose it, and then treat it properly. Oh my so, goodness. I, I am just so thankful that you are an ally in FASD. Oh man. I am just so happy. <laughs> to be talking with you. So I think the other, if I may, the, the other piece missing um, a lot of times is that we are so hyper-focused on what the child can or cannot do in that moment that we as professionals are often uncomfortable, I will admit, um, in starting a difficult conversation with caregivers. And a lot of times the success of the child is dependent on the acceptance of the adult in that child's life. And that is often outside my scope of practice as an SLP. However, I think it is very relevant that I am able to start the conversation about what that means for the family and how that is going to change family goals and dreams. And like I said, hope, and there is hope. And I can, you know, as a professional, I can offer that, but I want to make sure that caregivers are also, you know, able to access community care and self-care and um, recognizing that that connection is so crucial to supporting the child. Um, even if I'm not directly involved in that, in that process for the parent or caregiver, but that absolutely needs to be a part of our collective plan of care for that child and that family. 
I love that collective plan of care. Oh my goodness. That's, that's what we all need. Yes. Oh <laughs> my goodness. I am so, so thankful to be talking with you, Christian. So, um, any final, before we start talking about North Texas FASD support network, these have been some great takeaways and I've got, I'm pulling some wonderful quotes for this week's episodes. Uh, so people can, can see the wisdom that you're giving us. Are there any other takeaways you'd like for parents, caregivers, or educators to know about FASD and speech therapy? Yeah, I think, you know, to be successful, we have to be responsive. And I think I always just come back to relationship as the context for growth and connection for the catalyst of change. And to me, I think, you know, I can't, I can't even begin to work on social skills or the meal time, uh, the family meal time, if a child isn't trusting of my presence or trusting the, you know, the family's ability to be present in that moment with them um, in challenging times. If the child doesn't feel safe, if the child doesn't feel heard, um, then we're not going to move forward, right? That's, that's basic humanity. That's not just FASD. Um, but I think, you know, in the challenging, challenging times of FASD that these families face, that can be forgotten, that this is a child asking for help. And, um, you know, at the, regardless of the behavior, the request to be heard and be needed and be loved is there. And so, um, you know, how can we meet that need that um, through, through trust building, through relationship building? And that's why my, I think my program looks very different from traditional speech therapy is because it takes a long time to build relationships and trust. It takes a long time to focus on what a family needs day to day. I'm not just gonna come in and throw strategies at you and, and pat myself on the back, right? This, that I'm asking caregivers to do really hard work. I'm asking you to look and consider what your life looks like and how you can be a part of the change moving forward. Um, and that's, that's a lot. So um, I think that's the, the takeaway here is that, you know, the relationship is, is the heart. Fantastic. I, I am just so, <laughs> so blown away, Christian. This is just su such therapeutic gold to hear you say this and to share this with families, because we know, especially those of us who have studied the neurobehavioral model, that connection, that foundation is, is key. And also you are addressing not only the inherent trauma from the prenatal alcohol exposure from, you know, from the uh, substance exposure that happened prenatally, but then the trauma in the lived exposure, you know, so, so there are layers of trauma and that trust, that foundation has to be present in order for not only the child to move forward, but for the family to move forward. And I think for so many of us in the parent caregiving role, we often think of, okay, this is what 
this is what we these are what our goals are for the child or maybe educators if you're in if you're in a school setting these are the goals and we really need to take a step back and you're reminding us christian that especially through your program that it's it's us that needs to change it's it's we're like the nucleus of the child and and in order for the child to feel comfortable in communicating in his or her environment we need to be that trust so that they feel safe and they feel comfortable. And then that, that growth and those steps forward can happen. So I, I am just so, I keep saying thankful, but I really am. (laughs) I'm so thankful to talk to you and to learn about this. And I'm so inspired. What you're saying inspires me because again, if you're doing this and you know, this is just starting to grow, Oh man, I can't wait to have you back on the show and talk about how this is, is how this is developing. So let's talk a little bit about how you connected with this wonderful, wonderful group that I love, North Texas FASD Support Network. Um, I know you're on the board of directors, but let's just talk about how you uh, came into to being on their board and um, and some of the many wonderful things that they do. Sure. I um, I wasn't looking for a, another volunteer uh, position, but it just made so much sense. It's something that I'm obviously passionate about. Um, I had a, a very dear friend um, who was a part of the creation of the group and um, a parent advocate, and she uh, just kept talking about it and sharing her story and introducing me to friends and sharing their story. And I just felt like it was the, the fit that I needed um, to continue learning and being able to better serve these families. I think it's really interesting to, um, to serve as an SLP with families um, professionally, but this is, um, you know, the training that they're doing allows me access to different groups that, um, you know, we want to share the word, but it's also parent groups, caregiver support groups is the majority of what they're doing right now. And it's because the, the organization was founded by parents, for parents, by caregivers, for caregivers. And that is something I can't relate to, um, but is so crucial for me to understand, to be able to um, be an empathetic partner in their journey. And I think, um, you know, I the bravery and the compassion of families um, living uh, this life. Um, it's such a privilege to be invited in and to be invited into others' homes and be a part of this journey. I think that is just so special. Um, and I think, I mean, how could you not want to be a part of this group? Because, um, you know, I, that's how I felt. I, it was just the right fit. So um, North Texas FASD Network is um, listing all of the parent support groups on the Facebook page. That's the most updated way to find information. And like I said, they are a fabulous resource for anybody looking to 
find a therapist in your area, um, not just in Texas, but they've got connections all over. I'm amazed at how they are able to plug you in to where you need. Um, those support groups in North Texas, actually all across Texas, typically meet monthly and they are led um, by other caregivers typically. Um, they also offer trainings for anybody who wants to educate your employer or educate your child's school. Um, they, uh, you know, work a lot with foster adopt agencies and um, just even juvenile system. Um, they are very expert. They're experts at this because they've lived it. And so um, they're the ones you want sharing the knowledge, I think, in the community. Um, as a group, we plan to celebrate in September for FASD Awareness Month. And um, I, I'm not sure exactly what we're doing yet, but I know it will be posted as soon as we do. And um, we would love to have anyone in the area or anyone willing to travel join us to celebrate that because like I said, the, um, the work and the love that you guys share is something to be celebrated. Fantastic. And we will be sharing again, not only with Christian's uh, contact information, but we'll be sharing the social media handles and the links for North Texas FASD network. I love the group and I'm just so mm -hmm. thankful to, to be connected with them. And if you are in the Texas area looking for um, support and looking for resources, they are the group to go see. Mm -hmm. So Christian, this has been such a wonderful conversation. And I am, again, I, you just inspire me and give me hope as a parent advocate, knowing that you're, you're coming in and you're walking alongside parents and you want to be an ally and that this is just, just starting and, and, you know, the program, what you're doing, I'm, I'm excited. This is just starting. This is such a wonderful, wonderful um, conversation. So before we do our hope takeaways, Christian, can you let uh, people know how they can get in touch with you or um, share any links that are, are, will be helpful for them? Sure. Uh, my uh, website is heartandsoulspeech.com. Um, heart, A-N-D, soulspeech.com. You can find me on there. My contact information is on the website. Um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and would love to see you there um, with the same handles, Heart and Soul Speech. Um, North Texas FASC Network has the website. And like I mentioned, their Facebook group is the um, most updated, frequently updated with current events happening. Um, so those are the best ways to reach us. And once again, I'll be sharing all of those links and handles in today's program notes, as well as in our social media posts for this week's episode. So Christian, let's end this inspiring, hope-filled conversation with some hope takeaways that you have for parents. First of all, I want to thank you on behalf of parents listening on behalf of parents. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing for the FASD community. And again, recognizing that we need to work 
as a family unit, you know, in this growth, we all grow along with our loved ones. So I just appreciate you acknowledging that. And it's so, again, refreshing to talk to a professional um, who wasn't trained in FASD about the neurobehavioral model. It's, it's just, again, just gives me so much hope. So I'll stop gushing now. Um, <laughs> can you share before we end our conversation, just some words of hope for uh, people listening, especially people who are just having a hard time, um, things that make you hopeful and that can be encouraging to our listeners. Sure. I am a big Bruce Perry fan and I recommend his book with Oprah, What Happened to You About Trauma. Um, but in there, in that book, he shares something that reinforced what I believe, but also just really imprinted on my heart when I when I am invited inside homes. This is this is something that I want to model for caregivers that the, our daily lives, our activities are, uh, you know, it's, it's really busy. We live busy lives. And when we are supporting others with high needs, um, it becomes very challenging sometimes. And so I often feel like what I'm doing is not enough. And um, I want to do more, but there's just not enough hours or energy in the day. And so uh, when I read this, it just made sense to me that he, um, Bruce Perry, Dr. Perry talks about how the neural networks involved in relational connection and regulation are very responsive to moments. And this to me means a meaningful dose of therapeutic interaction is not 45 minutes once a week with a therapist. It can literally be seconds. It can be five seconds, 10 seconds in our day to be therapeutic and changing. It can create a change. And I think, you know, no matter how crazy our day gets, there's always an opportunity for connection, especially when we just think about a second. Just one sec. Can we find one second in our day that we were able to connect and engage? And that's enough for a small change, right? That's not going to be, um, that's not going to change everything, but sometimes that's all we can do. And sometimes that's enough. So for me, that was something really um, inspiring and something that I, you know, I take with me when, when I have a challenging time that, you know, I know I left with a second. Sparks of hope, sparks of connection, sparks, sparks of trust and foundation. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Christian Hancock of Heart and Soul Speech and of North Texas FASD Network. Thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. And I hope you'll come back again. Yes, anytime. Natalie, thank you so much for having me. It's it's just such a privilege. And like I said, I um I wouldn't be here without the the bravery and um strength that these families share with me. So um thank you. Thank you for all you guys do. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Beckione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review 
and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week. And remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.